Hello, this is World Focus from Brussels. My name is Sveit Helgason. The war in Syria has been going on for more than 10 years, tearing the nation and the country apart. In this episode, I speak with one of the millions of refugees that have fled from Syria. This is a story about courage and building a new life in a new country, and also about rescuing a dog from a war zone. Stella! Stella! So hi, hey, um, my name is Basil Abu Fakhir. I'm uh, from Damascus, Syria. I live in Brussels since 2015, and I'm a musician. I play multiple instruments. I write music, I produce music. It's my main occupation. Plus, I have an amazing dog. Her name is Stella. Uh, we made a book about her. To begin with, tell me your, your story. You, you're from Syria. You don't live there anymore. How come? Well, um, unfortunately, I didn't leave for vacation. Um, I left the country because of the crisis, because of the war. Um, I was 18 years old. I left without a family, moved to Brussels, tried to figure out everything and, um, you know, looking for a better life, I guess, trying to, um, yeah, build a new future. How were things in Damascus when you left? Describe them for me. It was pretty uh, tough. Um, obviously, also I was under eighteen, so my uh, the the way I look at the world was pretty different than I look at it right now. Um, I didn't have so many responsibilities. I I, I was a kid, um, so take this opinion as a kid's opinion. All right, um, things were pretty difficult. Um, we were in a war zone, and there was you know still the same. It's like uh, gangs and, 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 and army and uh, people robbing each other. It's very, you know, people are hungry. There is no food. There is no water. Um, the, the crisis is not only political. The crisis was very, uh, it's just, it was a civil war kind of, uh, you know, everything. You, you don't have infrastructure anymore. It's a chaos. It's, it's, um, it's just survival of, of, the, of the stronger. It's, it's, it was, you know, basically everybody turns into a savages, into a savage. And, 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 and yeah, it's... Uh, the Wild West. <laughs> so you decided to leave. Tell me a little bit about your, your journey. So I left the Turkey with a few friends at the time, and we uh, took a rubber boat to Greece, to Samos. From there on, um, we walked, we uh, took trains. We had to deal with a lot of smugglers. Uh, we paid a lot of money. I paid um, about 7,000 euros to get from Syria, and I risked my life with that. Uh, my sister at the time also, with her husband and his family, they were a group of five. They took a different route and each paid about 8,500 euros. I was with a group of five, each paid about 7,000. I'll let you do the math and figure out how much we paid as a group of 10, a family, to get to Europe and be separated uh, to risk our lives and then face a whole new chapter in our lives of of hard work, um, uh, poverty, underpaid, yeah, pretty much what every other any other European who is not having a good paid job is suffering from. <laughs> so um, the journey you took on the boat that was from Turkey to the island of Samos, right? Yes, so that was pretty exactly. Dangerous. Yeah, so um, that was so it was it was a rubber boat of. Um, I think approximately eight meters. Um, I'm not quite sure. Um, we were about 44 person, 43. I can't remember. 
but we were stacked like sardines in the boat and the smuggler told us um, at the time that it will be a two hours journey um, it ended up being five hours so three hours through people started panicking freaking out um, we had very much, a lot of difficulties with the waves um, so it was quite dangerous at some point we almost flipped and you know we went the, through the whole thing luckily we made it alive and uh, uh, but coming here to Brussels, you experienced some really good people. Sure, yes. Um, Brussels people, they're awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love Belgium. Uh, well, um, so I arrived here. I was in a camp for a couple of months, and then I moved to a Belgian family, the family of Anne Host and Johannes, Johannes van der Meulen. Um, amazing people. Um they supported me and my, with my friends for about a year time. Uh, they hosted us uh, food uh, and, and, a, and a shelter for us. You know, we lived with, with them in their house. The thing is, they they were so kind, and the the kind the kindness wasn't only the fact that they didn't ask us for money, but also uh, they did not hide anything from us. So it was like a big, the most intensive integration course you can follow. Uh, as a human you don't have to be a refugee to follow that just to engage with somebody else's life in in their country so that was very interesting so i learned a lot just just by absorbing by asking by looking um uh that was that was great um also plus uh johannes um the, the father he went to beirut and he actually brought stella from uh, beirut <laughs> yeah well, well we're coming to that you had a talk when did you get Stella? Uh, well, so I left. Um, at the time, my sister left as well, and my mom left, but each took a different route um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, maybe we can talk about them later. Um, my dog was left in Syria uh, because, yeah, it's a dog, and, you know, you can't really... I left her with my dad because my dad couldn't leave the country because my grandma was still alive at the time, so he had to take care of her. So I talked with Johannes when I was in Belgium after six months of arriving, uh, telling him about Stella, and we came up with the idea of, hey, let's get Stella here. So I managed to get my dad to get Stella within a taxi driver, with a taxi driver to Beirut. Johannes flew to Beirut, uh, had a lot of difficulties picking up Stella, um, because, hey, you cannot, like, tell the authorities and the control border control, um, this dog belongs to a Syrian refugee that I... I'm hosting in my house in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, people are going to look at you like, are you serious? You traveled all the way just to pick a Syrian dog for a Syrian refugee? Like, come on. So he was he was in <laughs> facing a lot of uh, criticism. Anyways, he made it. Uh, and Stella arrived in Brussels. And then um, we, you know, we managed to get her a, a book on Bloomsbury, which is it's an, a children's book um, and an illustration um the idea for the book is to uh, explain to children the crisis in Syria with a happy end. So Stella was alone in Syria and, and you know, it was a dangerous situation. Um, then she arrived here and she was happy to see me and everything is great. So the book was written by Deborah Blumenthal uh, from New York and the illustrations are by Nadine Kadan in London. Uh, two amazing people. Um, they, they did a great job. I picked my dog up um, from quarantine, I hadn't seen him in a few months, but it was different. So I know the feeling of going to the airport and seeing a dog in a crater, 
How was yours? How was it to reunite with Stella? Oh, it was great. I um, was very excited. Uh, it was an emotional roller coaster. Um, but she was very confused, so she didn't really, uh, you know, they, dogs remember, but also she was confused from the airplane, from the travel. It was quite intense. Um, but I was very happy to see her. Yeah, it was this emotional roller coaster of memories and melancholia and, 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 and happiness and also uh, fear of, okay, what I'm going to do now? I have a dog and I still don't have an apartment. <laughs> I don't even have a job. I don't have papers. What am I going to do? <laughs> but the dog is there, so that's cool. <laughs> and this story also, of course, touches upon this issue of refugees. Uh, what was the thinking behind that? Uh, how did you think about of course, your co-authors with you, to try to bring this subject and introduce it to children? Um, well, first, one of the most important things we were, uh, it was our guideline, basically. It was that don't lie to children. Just try, also don't tell them something that is pretty crazy. Just try to find a good way, a balanced way between the truth and what they can understand. But don't hide any information from them. So that's, we focus a lot on this. Um, and uh, you know, it's we we were we were trying to tell to tell a nice happy ending story. You know, we were in, and it's for children, but we also wanted to um, to write it in a way that if adults read it, they also can picture and have a, have a nice image about what's going on. Um, because it's always simple to explain things for children and. If adults actually also take that information, they can uh, build a lot of imaginary uh, reality around that simple truth. So, voila. <laughs> so it's a question, but you could, because you know, perhaps kids also ask. You read them something, and then they start asking, right? So probably some of them would ask, "Hey, what's refugee?" Exactly. Yeah. Um, children they love to ask. So. Um, and I'm sure they ask their parents a lot about refugees. So I think here, maybe this book could help them <laughs> uh, with the answers. <laughs> so we have Stella here with us. She's lying on the floor, feeling pretty comfortable. Yeah. So how, sh how has she been doing in, in Brussels since she came here? Well, uh, she got here when she was six years old. Now she's about 11. So things has changed, you know. She's, uh, she's, she's an old dog now, um, but she's... She's in good health. She uh, she is a rock star. A lot of uh, people know her in Brussels. <laughs> um, funny story. The other day I was I was uh, buying a sandwich and there was a lady, English lady with a dog. So Stella was with me. The dogs were playing. And then the lady goes like, "Is that Stella?" And I was like, "Yes, she is." And she's like, "Oh my god, I know about the book and I I wrote the book." And I was like, "She is famous." <laughs> What's it? What does it mean to to you? You don't have your family here. What does it mean to you to have her? Um, it's um, yeah. She's 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 uh, you know. I grew up with Stella. Um, having her here with me is is a, is very supportive to 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 my existence because obviously uh, people who went through what I went through they face a lot of identity uh, problems and crises and and and. Um, uh, so it's, she's like the kind of last um, ever standing uh, drop of my childhood, <laughs> if I put it in the right way. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, you basically start a new land, 
good people, but you've established a career in music. Tell me about your career in music. Uh, so before leaving Syria, I released my first album. I arrived here. I worked on another one. And meanwhile, I have made four albums um, as a producer and composer. And the music you know, goes between contemporary classical to ambient to... Um, this frozen Icelandic uh, strings and synth and um, very influential uh, genre for me. Um, I've also had the the, the the privilege to to meet amazing musicians and composers to work for them. So I worked as an assistant, uh, composer assistant and music supervision for uh, multiple big names in the film industry. Um, I have worked with uh, Adam Wilsey and Dustin O'Larian for A Wings Victory for the Sullen, two last albums. Um, and yeah, I now I'm, I'm busy working on my new release, which will be in June 2021 um, under the name Linear Minds. Uh, that's my solo um, artist name. Um, and uh, it's a collaboration with a, a brewery, local brewery in, in Belgium called Brussels Beer Project. And it's quite an interesting um, topic. Uh, it's very scientific. Uh, how could music affect beer? Um, I'm not going to say a lot, so I'll let you guys <laughs> check it out. <laughs> well, beer in Belgium, that really goes together. And you also played in this quartet, Kotob uh, quartet, right? Yeah, so I had a quartet called Kotob, and then I had a trio called Kotob Trio. Um, and so all my compositions, I then moved into um, just being one man band, so writing music on multiple instruments, recorded myself, produced it, so I learned all of that, and I've, I've done a couple of albums in it. Um, um, we, yeah, we used to play live with the quartet and the trio, but then I kind of changed paths and, and careers, and, you know, artists, we always change. <laughs> You never, which is a good thing because then it gets boring. You, it's you sound like a man that's ready to take on challenges. Oh, I think so. I, I hope so. That's a, a tough question. I think I took a lot of challenges. I need to catch a break right now. <laughs> so, you tell me your your family basically where are they now? You're kind of scattered all over. Yes, uh, my sister in in Dresden, um, and my mom in Ireland. Um, my dad's in Syria. Hopefully, one day soon we will be able to meet. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be wondering why did you all take different routes. Well, because when we were in Syria, we were we had this image of Europe as human rights uh, land, and where if you're coming from a war zone, you will get education, you will get a nice, um, you know, nice life. Not not a, you know, luxurious life, but you get the minimum and then you will be able to travel, you will get papers, so you will meet your uh, your, your loved ones. And we we, we see on, 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 in, on internet that, for example, there are no borders between Europe and the European Union, it's the Schengen. So you can just take a car and, and go see your mom, it's fine. You know, I wanted to come to Brussels. My sister wanted to go to Germany, she's a professional violent player, so she wanted to go to the land of classical music. And, you know, uh, and my mom went to Ireland because her brother lives there. Uh, and we thought things would be easy, it would be simple, we can just see each other. But no, I mean, I only seen my mom two times since I, since I moved to, to Belgium, and um, I saw my sister two times as well. Uh, yeah, that was a, quite of a, a slap on the face. We, we didn't know that things are going to be very, very difficult. 
So without you're restricted because of your status, refugee status still? Uh, I, I did get my status, but uh, it doesn't stop there. I mean, it's hard for everyone, even for Europeans themselves. Like, it's not, um, you know, we live in a capitalist society and capitalist system and uh, survival of the power, you know, of, of, of who's stronger and who, who, who has more cash in their accounts. I mean, um, uh, yeah, travel costs money. Um, <laughs> we're a family of struggling artists plus refugees. So, <laughs> but um, talking about Syria, um, your dad is there. Um, uh, are you? Do you have you have the hope to return to there some way? What are your expectations on that? Um, I, I would love to bring him here, which is also another challenge that uh, I can't. Nobody can bring him here. Um, uh, the policy in Belgium that if you're above or in the whole Europe, if you're above 18, you cannot do family reunification unless you have a huge income. So you can be responsible for the person you're bringing to the country. Uh, my mom has a very special, delicate paper uh, status in Ireland, so she cannot do family reunification. I will definitely, most certainly, never, ever go back to Syria. Again, especially, I left the country, I was 18, and I so I basically built a new life here, which, you know, surrounded with friends, and it's... I have no uh, wish of going back. Um, if I if I left when I was 30, for example, and then I lived my life there, of course I will miss the country. It's my home. But I mean, all I have memories are when I was in school and with a couple of fr with friends who are all around the world now. It's not like if I go back, there's somebody I know. It's just a whole different um, for me. Um. Um. But still, we know there's like 5.6 million refugees of Syrian, another 5.6 million displaced within the country. Um, but uh, so I don't know how to put it. What are your hopes for the Syrian, you know, Syrians? This war has gone be going on for 10 years. There's different factions, Assad, etc. Um, any chance there will be peace in Syria? And, and how does it feel? Although you're already here to see your country, your nation being torn apart like this. Uh, I just hope that we don't turn to be the other Afghanistan or, or Iraq forgotten, basically. Like now you can just read news about Afghanistan. It just passes by and it becomes part of, became part of our lives. Um, you, They're not even headlining anymore. You know, just we got used to that. This is the situation in Afghanistan and all the countries around it. This is the situation in Iraq. This is the situation in Libya. And Syria is the next... Uh, it was only people only heard about it. Be, be, Syrian people only were allowed to be refugees just because of the geopolitical interest of uh, a lot of countries, that, their interest in the region. But people are dying and starving and they're facing a lot of violence, domestic violence, women rights, etc., all around the world. But they don't, if they, they're, not, they're not even allowed to come here. And if they come here, they, ask, they claim a refugee status, they'd be sent back. Um, it's just stories that you don't hear about. Um, Indians, uh, uh, Pakistanis, uh, I mean, it's all around. It's just happening everywhere. But just because of the geopolitical interest within the region, um, people know about Syria. But give it a few years, it's just going to be vanished. It's going to vanish, and people are not going to care anymore. It's just, I mean, now the world is only busy with corona. Any other problem, global warming, anything is just doesn't matter for people anymore. We just want to get out of corona. So we're also human. We adapt really quickly. 
So, uh, but a solution, I don't have a solution if you ask me for a solution, but <laughs> I know that uh, this is going to take a long time, the situation. To get peace in Syria? Uh, I don't think it will ever happen. I mean, look at look at the region, the whole region. It's it's vendettas. It's just not. It's 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 blood, you know. <laughs> oh, we're not going to solve the Syrian war here. But finally, as I mentioned, I'm going to I'm going to the question that I promised that I ask you because I watched this this uh, yeah. documentary about the kids and, mm-hmm. and the refugee camp, and it's really good. I recommend it. So there was this this young boy. Uh, probably the age when you left Syria. And he said, uh, refugees, we don't want pity, we just want an opportunity. I 100% agree. Um, like, now I just told some small part of my story to you, um, and uh, I wasn't telling it to get empathy or pity. Um, um, I think you deserve to know. Uh, and, of course, all we want is an opportunity. We just want to be uh, looked at as equal right um equal rights equal opportunities um th- that's i mean that's also the the, the opportunity. everybody should get opportunity i mean as a, a a a solution in my opinion to capitalism is opportunities if you give everybody the opportunity to 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 get a good job to get a decent income to, to get them the opportunity for education give them opportunity for healthcare for uh, a stable life um you know it's all about opportunities. So it's, you know, obviously refugees, we want to be recognized with opportunities, but the whole world needs opportunities. You want to be recognized as human beings? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, like um, on my ID card, the nationality is written refugee. It's just like, it's, you know, it's not written Syrian, it's written refugee, (laughs) which is quite weird, I guess. I mean, I don't know how to describe that feeling, but it's just like, where are you coming from? A refugee, Republican of refugees. It's like, all right, that's a beautiful country. But do you consider yourself now a Belgian? I I, I hope I will be Belgian soon, officially. Um, I mean, but uh, I, not yet. I love the country. I have, you know, all my friends and all my life is here now. Uh, but, uh, I don't think I, you know, yeah. Even Belgians don't consider themselves Belgians. I have friends who, uh, <laughs> you know, what's a nationality anymore? Just, just yeah, just the place you grew up in. So that's it. But Stella, she's here right between us. Um, and uh, she follows you around. So what's, what's the most... Uh, the thing you like to do the most with Stella? What's your favorite pastime? What is, what is the most fun you do together? Um, going to the park um, where I met you. <laughs> uh, going for a walk, uh, obviously. Um, she's quite old now, right? She doesn't play. So playtime is over. But I, I just love taking my book, going to the park when it's a sunny day, sit down, and she just sits in front of me, next to me, and... and Enjoy the sun, enjoy the, yeah, it's, uh, a, a, well, a big part of my life is Stella, right? Because I walk her every day and she, she you know, she consumes a lot of attention, uh, which I later translate into, I think, music. And because I'm, you know, I'm always looking for inspiration. And whenever I'm outside, I'm with Stella and I take her everywhere with me to friends, to 
when I go to a restaurant, when I go to see, you know, she's always around. So we don't have a special activity, but <laughs> we have a, we have a good bond, I guess. Um, and she is an inspiration. She is. She's an inspiration. Yeah, I love having an, a pet, a, a, you know, an animal, um, a friend. Stella. Stella. <whistles>